Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. This is John Trooper. This is Kate Prusser. This is Julio Rodriguez. Produced by Evan James Audio. This is Lookout Landing, Landing Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Lookout Landing Podcast. My name is John Trooper. I am Deputy Managing Editor at LookoutLanding.com. Joined today, as ever, by Kate Proust, Managing Editor at Lookout Landing. Kate, how are you on a bit of a dreary summer day here? Yeah. Uh, Did everyone enjoy their one day of summer? That was great. (laughs) I did. Yesterday was beautiful. Now back to your previously scheduled June gloom. (laughs) uh we also have evan james evan audio engineer podcaster extraordinaire uh evan how are things by you uh doing pretty good uh i actually got out to my first mariner game of the year which i realize given that i'm on the podcast is kind of a cardinal sin but uh managed to make it out to see them lose on father's day so um but it was (laughs) it was good nonetheless so um my dad had a good time and got to see julio and all that good stuff so uh feeling feeling good that is that is something um yeah it's uh you'd be hard pressed to have picked a game to attend recently that uh that wasn't sort of a stinker unfortunately friday night friday night was good yeah friday night was a party um but the rest of them have been turd burgers yeah um crassly but accurately i think so so um so we're recording here um Actually, on the heels of a win, which is novel, but uh, 
It's been a little bit. Um, I'd been traveling, and then, uh, Kate, you got the novel coronavirus. I uh, did. After ducking it for so long, came yeah. and found me. Yeah, and then uh, I actually am presently in the throes of uh, of the Rona, uh, as it were. Miss Rona got her claws in you. It's it's true. Yeah, part of uh, half of my house currently is Ronified, um, with the with the rest of them hiding uh, from us, or I guess they have <laughs> hidden us away more more permanently, um, and very kindly are sort of sustaining us on uh, yogurt and uh, Tylenol. Um, as, as doctors recommend. Um, but, uh, we're gonna, we're gonna chat about, honestly, one of the more frustrating stretches in, uh, in Mariners fandom recently to me. Um, I'd be curious to hear how you guys feel and I'm going to, uh, (laughs) lean more heavily on you both as my voice obviously is more limited. Um, but, yeah, how how do we feel after this sort of calamitous 1-4 run against the Angels this weekend, against the Rendonless Angels, the No Syndergaard Angels, the... Wait, is Syndergaard out again? No, but he didn't pitch. Oh, he didn't pitch. No, he yeah. didn't. But, I mean, he's been not... He's been very middling for them. Certainly, extremely I mean, mid, as the kids would you know, say. But Kenny Rosenberg was yeah, that uh, was bad. That was bad. I wasn't too surprised about Sandoval sh- Sandoval solid, down. but Suarez has not been good. And um, no, but you know they can't hit lefty pitching. That's been an issue all year. Um, left-handers, I would, I would just, say so. Left-handers really eat their lunch for whatever reason. I don't understand. I you know roll out <laughs> get get just a Sheffield up here roll him out and have him pitch to everyone. Like just make them take more looks against left. I don't know what to do, but uh, like you said, definitely extremely frustrating an extremely winnable series. Uh, We are recording this on the heels of baseball Twitter lighting up with another amazing accomplishment for Shohei Otani, the first ever Japanese born player to have eight RBIs in a game hit a game tying two run home run in the ninth and the angels lost 12 to 11 to the Royals, <clears throat> which is objectively funny, right? It's funny. Um, but also it is, it kind of throws what the Mariners did or did not do against the angels this past weekend into even starker relief. They lost to a decidedly should be inferior team given, um, what the angels are kind of running out there right now with the lack of Rendon and uh, they had Otani pretty well in hand. They literally got beat beat by Mike Trout. Um, And there was a lot of scrutiny placed on Scott service about the decision to pitch to Trout, which, you know, like you're going to have to pitch to him at some point. Like you can't just walk him every single time. Um, But yeah, it was, it was an, it was an opportunity an opportunity for the Mariners who are bunched up with Texas and the Angels in the middle. I mean, obviously it's the Astros and like the Astros and the Athletics at the kind of extreme outliers and then the other three teams in the middle kind of clawing to be the differences between being in second place and being in fourth place. And the Mariners had a chance to get into second place and they 
um, you know, they pooped all over said opportunity for, again, I, I don't like how crass this team makes me, but there's really no way to describe what they did that is not kind of crass. It was absolutely the biggest letdown that I can remember since, and I mean, expectations were not as high, I think, but definitely this had the the feel of Deadger Weekend, as John named it, Redux. Uh, it was similarly like a hyped up weekend. They had a huge crowd for most of the nights. Uh, the doubleheader, obviously. Uh, once again, it was against the Angels, who I think were the the same team they laid the egg against during Deadger Weekend. Um, just absolutely frustrating, disappointing. A lot of people walked away and will not be coming back. Thank you to those of you who are still here and listening to the podcast and putting a little money in our pockets. We appreciate that. We Um, do appreciate that very much. Because it's engagement is low um, and the engagement that there is is pretty negative, which is understandable. Uh, Yeah, it sucked. There is no way to sugarcoat it. It sucked. And I thought I couldn't I thought I was past being angry at the team or disappointed in the team because I kind of had my like come to Jesus moment a few weeks ago where I was like, I can't allow this team to make me miserable anymore. And I can't be negative about them um, because it's a bad environment for us to work in. And it's a bad feeling in general. Like you just, you gotta just roll with the punches, but that those were difficult punches, difficult punches to roll with for sure. Poor John. Uh, Also, everybody go get your booster because I think that's why, or go get another booster because I think that's why we are kind of where we are with, uh, with this current wave is people's last boosters are running out of their effectiveness. So we're not allowed to get another one yet. Remember they had, there's no guidance on that if we're under 50. So yeah, those young and spry among us. Yeah. Just go and. They don't have to know what number booster it is. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I don't advocate, um, you know, doing mild crimes like medical paper forgery. Well, except when the system, you know, the system is has is letting us down on that front. So, you know, do what you got to do. Do what you got to do to stay healthy. Fair enough. Anyway, that's a tangent, but that is, like, (laughs) how much we don't want to talk about the Seattle Mariners right now because they are, indeed, a huge, huge bummer. Um, Kate, this is not really digging out of the bummer, but... um, No, no, we need to just sit in it for a little while. (laughs) Go ahead. Lay it on Um, us. Well, I just... I know we are talking sort of our our pre-production as it were, as in so much as that exists. Um, but you wrote a very thoughtful article about Scott's service um, and his role and his responsibility in all this or lack thereof. Um, for for those who may not read the site, um, could you just go into a little bit of your your argument there in terms of what the team should do and what responsibility should be laid at services feet. Sure. If you don't read the site, please read the site. Like (laughs) we need you. Um, But aside from that, yes, uh, there were a ton of calls for services head and 
Um, I mean, obviously, a lot of it is just reactionary. It's the bloodthirsty horde. This is typical. You know, I've seen this cycle multiple times. Um, and it's very, tra- I mean, it's a tradition, right? Like hot dogs, Cracker Jacks, calling for the manager to be fired when the team is not performing well. That is all rich baseball tradition. Um, except in researching the article, I kind of dug into manager firings were way more common pre the data revolution in baseball. And once analytics took more of a role at the forefront, first of all, the evidence became pretty clear that firing the manager midseason does not make any significant I mean, it has like very little statistical correlation with team performance. It does not, (laughs) surprise, surprise, a big drastic change is not the thing that turns around fortunes. Um, So there, there just hasn't been so many firings because of that. And also because the role of manager has changed a lot in the past, even just five or 10 years in that these decisions are not made solely by the team manager. They are made by the GM. They're made by uh, the front office, the data analytics crew. There's, there's a multitude of voices that are choosing things. And like, there might be individual little things that service does that are not scripted. Um, But as far as like, here's our general game plan for this game. Here's our general reliever usage, our ideal reliever usage. Like those things are scripted out way in advance. Um, So it's just, aside from kind of the the two very high profile incidents this year where the Angels fired Joe Madden um, and the Phillies fired Joe Girardi, bad time to be named Joe, um, manager firings are really down and they should be because firing managers is stupid. Um, unless the person is grossly incompetent, which they're not, uh, Scott service is not people love to complain. And, you know, I think there are nits to pick about what he does, but you know, this is somebody who was a manager of the year candidate last year, who lots of people felt like he, should have gotten, should have won that award. Um, He's able to do a lot with a little. We've, you know, we've seen the personal connection that he forges with his players. There's, I think, respect for him among the players um, that we've, we've seen comments come out about that, about people appreciating him. So to put him up as a sacrificial lamb is dumb. Um, and it's really easy to point to, but the real issues are much bigger and they are not things that Scott service did. Like Scott service didn't identify Adam Frazier as a trade candidate. He didn't identify Jesse Winker, um, which is its own kind of can of worms, but he didn't, you know, break anyone's arm in the bullpen he, he's just not responsible for the problems that plague the team um the biggest one of which is that they didn't have a backup plan for their all-star and yet frequently injured right fielder uh rookie of the year and yet frequently injured center fielder 
you know, it was, it was poorly constructed from the jump. It was thinly constructed from the jump and everything that could go wrong did go wrong. They've had some really terrible luck, but there was no backup plan built for it. And that's the thing that's really hurting them. Uh, we're running out, you know, Sergio Romo and just a Justin Upton. I mean, it's, it's bad and it should not have gotten to this point, but none of that is Scott Surface's fault. You know, it's interesting. I read your article, Kate, and you and I are fundamentally on the same page about virtually all of this. But what was really interesting to me was I I have the same argument that you do, that this is not Scott Service's fault and that it isn't his fault that Jesse Winker has been atrocious. Right. Like, I just I don't associate that with with him being culpable. Um, but I was interested to see other people phrase it that way when I was reading through the comments and just sorting through Twitter. And I, I basically commented on Twitter. I said. Jerry brought in Winker and Suarez and Frazier and, you know, like the performance of those players is on him and the kids doing better is like is because they've developed under Scott. And so I'm inclined to give the blame to Jerry, if anybody. And I had somebody turn around and say, well, yeah, you had, you know, an all star last year came and played for your team. You know, he's missing what two wins at this point. Winker's two wins off whatever pace he was at last year. Like, that's a manager thing. You know, you bring it all you can ask a GM to do is bring in an all star. If he doesn't play well, then that's on the coach. And I was kind of stunned by that because it was literally pulling the opposite thing from what I was seeing the opposite, the exact opposite conclusion. But there is like on some very rudimentary level some actual merit to that. I don't agree with it. I think that it's kind of asinine but it, it like it's not technically wrong and where i've been stuck on this this whole time and i'm glad we actually got a chance to wait and, and have an extra couple of days to kind of let it marinate because my opinion has developed over the last week or so and and the thing i keep coming back to is when we're talking about firing scott the whole point of scott and jerry was when they were hired the belief was that they were going to put scott in the front office that he didn't have managerial experience on the field not necessarily i mean he had played baseball but he hadn't been a manager in a technical sense before in, in the minor leagues um they expected i want to say it was tim tim Willach. i could be I, I know i'm mispronouncing his last name but somebody else somebody from the texas system was expected to be the manager for jerry's team and he didn't he put scott there and the explanation we got was there's no daylight between these two there is categorically organization, categorically focused organization here that Jerry and Scott are on the same page that the player development and the coaching and, you know, the, the physical training staff, you name it. Everybody is in alignment. It's not different from what we see with the Seahawks, where Pete and John are a package deal. There are a lot of professional sports teams where. The general manager, the president of operations, the coach, they're all kind of different entities with their own domains and their, their, their own things that they're going to get blamed for or credit for. The Mariners theoretically aren't supposed to be that way. The whole Scott Jerry deal is that they are a package deal, that they come together, that there's that, you know, the famous picture of them from seven or eight years ago where they're back to back in the in the Blazers. It's like if you're. If you're looking at this situation where the Mariners are and you've drawn the conclusion that we need to fire somebody, I am of the fundamental belief that what you're really saying is that we need to have a complete overhaul of the front office because I don't see how you can say, oh, well, we're just going to ditch Scott and it's going to fix stuff. They're going to bring in somebody else who's on board with all the same stuff, right? Like, and that's, that's putting aside the fact that I do think that Scott is a good manager, that I do think that the team plays for him. 
All of that aside, it's a question of is the grass greener? Well, not if you don't do it all. You know what I mean? Like if, if this is the Jerry and Scott show, then changing just one of those faces isn't going to be a new show. It's going to be season six of Scrubs where none of the main cast was on it anymore. You know, <laughs> sorry, that's a deep cut reference. But uh, <laughs> um, you know what I'm saying? Like it, it, we had the same conversation with, again with the Seahawks this past off season of like, do we fire Peter, John or Russ? It's like, well, Russ, because Pete and John are a package deal. And if one of them is staying, both of them are staying. And if one of them is going, both of them are going. And I don't think this team makes any sense the way it's constructed, how deep we are in this rebuild to just get rid of the manager. Like so much of this had is Jerry's design. I don't see appreciably how reorganizing who goes out when in terms of the bullpen was the saving grace that could have yeah. made the difference for the 22 team. Like it, right. That's just, that's not right. where we're at. So like this. the next level up that you have to talk about is, uh, is it time for DePoto to get the ax, which again, I think like, so you have to go up the next level, which is DePoto, which is, you know, do we give DePoto the axe? Um, because obviously firing service would be meaningless. It would be a symbolic gesture. So the next one up is, you know, is this DePoto, the end of DePoto's tenure. I think like people point out how long he's been around, but you know, the first years you have him, he was told to win with the core that they had. Like, so every decision that was made was in order to try to win with the core that was here. And we are, you know, two years maybe into seeing DePoto's guys come up or this regime, because it's not just DePoto, right? It's Andy McKay and all the player development people and uh, the new scouting director, like there's a whole crew that is making these that shape this organization. Um, and Depoto's the face of it, but you know, there's uh, he represents a bunch of uh, like a regime, a bunch of people, right? So, um, I I just don't think. I think we're still so early in seeing like what this player development system will do when these guys get to the majors, because it's such a, it's, it's a long climb. And I mean, the 2016 and 2017 guys are kind of just getting here. And even at that, those 2016, 2017 guys. And I, I did another article about this, like redrafting the 2020 draft, because there's a pretty clear line between the 2020 draft and the 2021 draft, the 2020 draft closed off this era of taking quote unquote proven performers, low ceiling, but MLB adjacent college players who could help the team in this current window. Um, and now we're onto a new wave that's headlined, you know, by Harry Ford by Edwin Arroyo, who's just been like tearing up Modesto. He's so fun. A lot of young international signings, Lazaro Montez, um, some exciting stuff maybe coming down the pipe in the next couple of years. Uh, a new commitment to spending and spending big on premium blue chip players in the international market, which is all very exciting. So 
we haven't even seen those guys yet. I mean, there are wheels in motion that I just feel like at this point, it would be still abandoning horses midstream. There's a tremendous amount of bad luck at play this year. Um, I think that they made some moves that we were happy with. They didn't do enough, and we weren't happy with how they didn't do enough. But I wonder, just with Winker tanking the way he has, which was very unexpected. Zach Mason wrote something today about explaining like just what is killing Winker um, and why. And it's it's a it's a confluence of really bad factors that maybe should have been seen in advance. Um, but again, I think that comes to your scouting and analytics people. Um, who knew Robbie Ray was not going to repeat his Cy Young? I I think he was like kind of a weird acquisition for the team too, for a team that loves like maximizing pitcher arsenals to go out and get a guy who literally has two pitches is very weird to me. Um, I don't know. I think those are some of the questions that you asked. They, they pin their hopes on Abraham Toro. They thought Abraham Toro was going to be, you know, he was an, he was a quote unquote analytics darling and uh, he's just been disastrous. Sorry to Toro supporter Jacob Parr on the Sorry, Jacob. On yeah. <laughs> Toro's been awful. Um, you know, there I, was a, um, I, I want to find the specific name, but it, he's like one of five players with over 200 plate appearances. Oh, yeah. Sub 65 WRC plus. Or something yeah. He's like, like 178th out of 199 qualified players or something. Like that. I mean, it's just egregiously bad. And I think. Much in the way that um, the James Paxton trade, the James Paxton trade was like, okay, whatever. I mean, they they had to kind of get what they could get. But I was like, don't trade with the Yankees. Like, you're not going to get anything good out of the Yankees. The Yankees don't give up good stuff. Whatever they give up is something that they have identified that they can't make. No one leaves the Yankees and, like, goes on to huge success elsewhere, you know? And same thing with Houston. If Houston decided that they didn't need Abraham Toro, Abraham Toro did not need to be gotten, in my opinion. I think it's hubris to think that you can somehow develop a player that Houston, literally one of the best player development systems in baseball, possibly the best. I would I would put Houston and the Dodgers, obviously, right up there against each other. Like, did you think you were going to unlock something that they didn't? No. Ridiculous. So that, and then just committing so many plate appearances to him, committing to, okay, either him or Adam Frazier is going to work out. Adam Frazier with his like 400 BABIP from last year. You know, that is an area where, and and this is something we don't know. We don't know what what the free agent budget was, you know, is it you get Robbie Ray and that's all you get Uh trade for everybody else. I, it was not the second, second base is to me yeah. the most glaring mistake that was made in the off season. And the one that is coming back to bite us the hardest right now, because if you had one consistent bat there, and I know Marcus Simeon has been bad, he's been bad, but he is also, much better than what he's been playing at. And now he's starting to like kind of pull out of this tailspin. 
You know, you saw the same thing with Trevor's story. Apparently, right. all these people needed to get right is a series against the Mariners, and lo and behold, it's it's unlocked. Um, yeah, I there were there were mis- mistakes were made there. Again, they don't come to service. Maybe Depoto has to take it on the chin for the decisions that the rest of the data analytics team made. Um, but, you know, also, I think we really have to ask the question, how much budget did he have to work with? It's definitely an issue of what was the budget this winter? And also, you know, the obvious lack of budget. Previous, you know, they are still paying for their uh, cheap cheapness of the past few winters where they would not add to the team, um, you know, to to build for the future, even when there were, you know, young free agents available who would help in the short and long term. Um, you know, because if you're trying to sort of put together a roster in one offseason, it's really hard to do. It's really hard to make all these additions. And so when someone like Winker has a down year, you know, yes, when we talk about like backup plan, it's hard to do a backup plan of like having five or six good players. But another way of having a backup plan is getting better players elsewhere so that if someone else is struggling, you, it doesn't hurt quite so badly. And that, that was much more available to them. Like you were saying, Kit, like Story and Semyon, I mean, you know, it's not that complex. You know, Rodon, all these other oh options my God. were out You know there. how much I wanted Carlos Rodon. You yeah. did call that one. Um, I you know. just desperately. And, you know, you can't always, very possibly some of them hate Seattle. Knowing what I know about Carlos Rodon, I don't think he would have hated Seattle. Like, West Coast yeah. guy to start with. I feel like you could have made a pitch to him that was appealing. Um, you know, that just those two things, and maybe this is a future article is looking at like what just the addition of one of those big free agent middle infielders would have done and Rodon. I mean, obviously that's a pretty big amount of dollars to just kind of hand wave away, but those were two things that could have upgraded the team significantly and instead we're getting i mean bless his heart george kirby has been good he is learning on the job i think he's gonna get even better i've been thrilled with what i've seen out of him honestly agreed um he's gonna i think he's very much on the logan gilbert track where like what you're watching right now is a big league pitcher figuring out how to be a big league pitcher like all the stuff is there it's just a question of like, no, George, it's not the minor leagues and you cannot sneak a fastball past Mike Trout. It doesn't work, bud. Does not work. Um, so <clears throat> that they've gotten lucky on that front. And, you know, they've put a ton of time and effort into their pitching development. They've drafted that. You've Kirby, Hancock. Gilbert, like you've spent that draft capital on pitching. So I kind of understand not going after pitching. I don't understand not going after Carlos Rodon on a one year deal, but maybe mm-hmm. he didn't come here. Maybe he didn't want to come. Um, to be, but to, go ahead, John. No, just I, I'm to be completely honest, it's not, you know, <clears throat> money does not always determine 
everything in in baseball, but it's one of the best determinants of what teams will be successful. And, you know, of the top 15 teams by payroll, the top 15 by payroll in MLB this year, I believe four are under 500. It's the Angels, who are eighth. Uh, Hilarious. Um, Indeed. It's, oh, sorry, only three. It's the Angels, it's the Cubs, who have a big payroll, but not necessarily, like, it's a lot of dead money. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's the Rangers, who, <laughs> you know, sort of a hot mess. Also and hilarious, then, but turning it around, turning it around. And then 16 to 30, you have the Twins at 16th. They're above 500. And you have th- only three teams in the bottom 15 with a, over 500 records. It's the Twins, who are 16. And then, obviously, the Rays, because um, they're the Rays. And then they're the Rays. Cleveland, who similarly has always had notably exceptional development and has, you know, had had a better than expected year. Um, and maybe, again, this is hubris. Like, the Mariners thinking they don't have to spend because they have this development right. and they've put a ton of... They have not put that much money into player development. Like, let's let's be clear about that. There's a reason they keep hemorrhaging people no. uh, out the door. Mm-hmm. But they pride themselves on their development. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe they thought, oh, we've got, you know, internally we can unlock the... No, no. Do, do either of you recall offhand where the Mariners rank in total payroll? Uh, in Aren't they 19th? Am I wrong okay, about that? Do you have a guess? I thought it was 23rd. They are 22nd. 22nd. Okay. Where do you think they rank in total win percentage at this exact moment? Oh, man. <laughs> League, league-wide. League-wide. I'm going to say they are, they're like the 23rd. There are seven or eight teams worse than them. Yeah, I, I like that symmetry. They are 22nd. 22nd in payroll, 22nd yeah. in Go tied with the Orioles. Huh. Go uh-huh. figure. Wow. Tied with the mm-hmm. Orioles, a place you don't want to be. Uh, so, yeah, to, go figure. No, you, Spend more getting, money, have better exactly team. What they, exactly they're what getting they exactly for. what they paid for. Yep. And that, I think, ultimately is like what we... So, okay. Maybe that's the route that they chose. Which, you know, let's let's now do where they are in... Uh, national market share and team valuation and um, packages that they, the money that they get from their regional sports package, because they are a top 15 team as far as money coming in. It's a, it's a grift. It's a grift. Um, Yes. And real, real quick, I understand why we're having this particular like angle on this. And I, and I understand it. Like, I understand why we're having this discussion. I understand you know, I've been here the whole time. I've been on the podcast for a year. I've, I've advocated for the marriage to spend more as much as anyone. Un- I also understand intellectually that they just might not. You know what I mean? Like we have we have no fundamental control over the way that the team is budgeted. We can want them to spend more. And I very much do and was mad when they did not spend on Chris Bryant or Trevor Story or whoever. But as it relates to DePoto and as it relates to the Mariners' current situation, I think a fundamental assumption we have to make is that no matter who's in charge, this is how much money they're going to spend. 
And if we're going into it with a mindset of we're going to fire DePoto, we're going to fire Scott, we're going to get new people in here, we're going to spend more money, I'm going to pump the brakes on that because they are absolutely not going to spend more money. They're going to bring somebody else in who's going to work under the same parameters under which Jerry is working now. So our question isn't, is the Mariners' method to get somebody else and, and change face and spend their way out of this? Yes, the, this, they absolutely should spend their way out of it. But if they're not going to, can we do better with the people who are already here and the budgets that are already established, right? Those, that's, that's the paradigm we find ourselves in. I can think that's the, the wrong question to ask. Like, I think the question, I think what needs to come from the fans is a message that this is unacceptable and they're not going to spend their money on it. Like, put some money into the team, get out of the bottom-ranked payroll, and, you know, if they want to spend that money on a Julio extension, I will not be mad about that. But also, like, that makes your team better in the long run, but it doesn't do anything immediately. And I think, you know, while they're selling these upgrades and, you know, pumping this all-star enthusiasm and all these things... The product on the field has to match that. And I feel like uh, a good share of blame that does not um, does not get talked about a lot is just the way the team was marketed to fans because they were marketed as here's a, they're going to make some noise. You know, they're young, they're fun, they're exciting. We've done these things like all these things, um, all this marketing hype campaign off season got people all excited and they just didn't have it was all hat no cattle and people should be mad about that like be mad about that resist the mariners urge to like their off season sweet talk until there's like some actual money committed by the team and they'll say like oh robbie ray robbie ray would you know, considering what was out there, and it was a missed opportunity too, because next year's free agent class does not look like this year's free agent class. And they just basically sat, with the exception of Ray, like sat it out. And I think that's unacceptable. I I agree. I think I, I 100% agree with that. I really do. I don't think there's anything I disagree with any of that. What I would add is I do not specifically think the reason the 2022 Mariners have cratered is specifically because of the money they spent on the team. I fundamentally believe having watched them play that there is something amiss with the way that they have identified certain talents on the team, be it Chris Flexen, be it Marco, be it Jesse Winker, be it Whoever, I think that the dead ball or whatever is going on with the ball this year has really caught them by surprise and that there's a combination of the ball affecting some of their players in conjunction with bad luck. Like Jesse Winker is not has not purely lucked his way into this. His results have genuinely been worse because of the ball as well. Like make no mistake. It's not like he's just hit home runs that have been caught he's also just not hit home runs. It's a, it's a it's a combination of stuff. So I agree I agree. They totally like, yeah, spend another $50 million on this team, bring in Rodon, bring in Gossman, bring in whoever. There's still something broken about the players that they, they brought in this year. The fact that they had to teach their Cy Young winner who they just signed last off season to get a new pitch mid game is kind of a red flag. The fact that they're all stars from last year are both borderlines. One of them is sub replacement level. The other one, 
uh, is in the bottom 5% of the league in hard hit rate or yeah, it like those are like some pretty serious red flags. And I don't, I don't want to pin all of that on Jerry, but I do think that, you know, I I did a tweet where you need a sober revaluation of separating out the dead ball and like who we can expect to maybe improve if the ball changes again or to just stabilize versus who just might not be very good anymore. It's possible that Adam Frazier and Jesse Winker are just average guys with this new ball. And if that's the case, we need to know, you know, like I I think that they can, they can spend more money, but I'm seeing defects in their talent question as far as like who they're acquiring yeah absolutely which when you limit yourself to only acquiring via the trade market or with this artificially imposed cap you're not going to get the best players because the best players are not available for trade like the trade is fine it's a fine way to build depth, but you're not going to get superstars in a trade unless, you know, someone done screw up and you get the Tatis trade or whatever relitigated. Um, it just doesn't analytically. Well, especially getting immediate superstars. That's, no, you will not. You will not get like, that. I guess the Mariners got Ty France, but that was, you know, that still took a little bit to develop. And, you know, he was good in 2020 and then they he really took off but like yeah by and large like you're not getting that immediate impact especially you're not getting it without hurting your organization otherwise so yeah um no i think evan your, your point of like this this could have worked out it still could have worked out better they they just didn't give themselves any slack they didn't give themselves any any room wiggle room and so now they're they're unfortunately getting the consequences of taking a really narrow pathway to success that they have fallen off of. Which has I think, been the ahead, Mariners in the past too, right? Like even when they were good, when it was you know when they were supposed to be in contention, it was with that aging core, and it was I still remember the Drew Smiley injury when he got the sog. And how that sunk the entire 2017 season. That shouldn't happen. Like, it should not have one catastrophic injury sink your team. Right. To an injury-prone pitcher. No. And that's that's something that's been an issue as well. It's like, just kind of hoping that these guys are going to be okay. And, um, you know, at this point, too, we have enough kind of systematic injuries. I mean, Kyle Lewis obviously is like an extreme case because I think a player of lesser athleticism than Kyle Lewis doesn't ever come back from that. That just ends their career, which is horrible. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Evan White has not been able to stay healthy. Uh, yeah. there's, there's some systematic injury issues that um, that's a little bit of a troubling pattern as well. I think if I had to 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 put a bow on kind of like what I'm seeing, I think we know how the Mariners fell apart this year in terms of performance. We understand we understand how they got to this juncture. I'm still a little bit unsure as to why, as to how much of it is actually bad luck, because luck is luck. It's fungible. It comes and goes. It can be good or bad. 
it can be quantified and not quantified. But how much of this is, were they wrong about guys? And I think they might have been more wrong about some of these guys than we want to think. Um, and Kate, I think you've always kind of been a little suspicious of Frazier, of his numbers last year at the BABIP and stuff. I think you were right. And that they bought into somebody who he really wasn't. And I think that that goes for Winker as well. And I don't know what to do about that because, you know, like, how do you, how do you look for a blind spot? Right? Like that's essentially what I'm asking. How do the Mariners find their blind spot? I think how they answer that is going to determine whether or not Jerry is around. Where do we think this stands right now uh, in, in comparison to sort of other disappointing Mariners seasons? Uh, particularly in recent memory, but honestly, you know, however far back you can go. Uh, I said 2018. That was my answer was, yeah, the Cano suspension year. That was probably the last time we had genuine expectations. So that's probably it. It was different because, you know, this team has Julio and this team has such a younger core and they're not kind of the cobbled together Nelson, you know, Cano Seeger show of, of your, um, but at least three or four years, this is the most disappointing for sure. Um, absolutely. Yeah. The 2018 team crashing halfway through was extremely disappointing, but I guess this year is, this is the most disappointing year that I can remember because of all the hype and good feelings and excitement and they were supposed to come back and get even better. And they just, the marketing machine went overdrive getting national attention. Um, you know, for a while we were like Kings of the SB nation podcast or, um, the network of sites, you know, which is, we don't usually hang out there up there with like the, Atlanta and uh, the Yankees, I, like those guys are kind of in a class by then. And I was like, maybe it's our time to shine. Like, finally, everybody's paying attention to the Mariners. We're going to be like a national story. Everybody's going to be so in on the Mariners. It was so exciting for that first month. And it crashed so hard after that, that it just, it's really ruined my um, ability to enjoy this team i'm trying so hard every day to just take it one game at a time and appreciate what we can appreciate but it like i do not enjoy turning the game on to watch a mariners game i know the staff doesn't um no you know we've had extremely low morale i know fans yeah. i don't blame anyone for doing yeah. something else and in fact i encourage it like they shouldn't don't make yourself miserable over this team because uh, we kind of have to, and we'll provide all the details for you. But yeah, it's just, you know, last year's team, you always watch to the end because it always felt like they could come back. There was something special about them. Uh, they never felt like they were out of it. This, if another team hits a home run in the first couple innings, you're like, well, that's over. And it's, yeah, and it's, it's a, a bad team place that to has be. I, I, they have all these offensive outbursts for individual games, right? It feels like they have these days where it's like, like Friday night, 
and like last night's game as well, where it's like, oh yeah, this is the offense that we were looking for. Like this is the offense that we were expecting. And it just, it is, they are so hot and cold in a way that I don't honestly understand. Um, and I don't know what the root of that is. Um, but I feel, yeah, I feel the same way. Like you said, Kate, like it's not, it's not a joyful experience. Um, and I, I do want to try and, because I think we should wrap here. Um, there is a challenge, but also a little bit of a hopeful situation, I guess, looking forward. Um, not really for this year, although they're only, only eight games back of a playoff spot. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of baseball to play, but like, realistically, I, I'm, I'm pretty done on it. You know, I had believed that this was a team that could get back into contending by, you know, the end of June. And, uh, I, I really thought that that was something they could do, especially with the weak stretch of schedule they were going to start facing. Um, and cratering against the angels sort of sunk that, um, even though they, you know, they beat Houston in a series again, very recently, like anyway, but, um, this team and this organization is in decent position, honestly, pretty good position in terms of how many young, talented players they have, um, both for this year and for next year and for the next few years like that has not changed. And they're already looking at, you know, Julio looking like uh, the rookie of the year. Logan Gilbert genuinely having a Cy Young pace, like a Cy Young contender pace. Um, Kirby, like you said, having a very solid start already. Um, and, you know, a, a Ty France, the best first baseman in the league. I mean, a number of players, JP looking very solid. Um, this is not a bad core. It's just a question now of like, okay, does this organization actually have the will to add more significantly this winter, or are they just going to be content to continue running it back with mediocre additions and hoping that this time things actually break 75% right for them. Cause you know, this was a team that was by and large projected to be about 500 by all the projection systems, either 500 or a little bit below. And they've been worse than expected, but it's not like they were projected to be a division winner. They weren't projected to be, wild card winner they were projected to be in the wild card contention but they did not build a a, a a playoff team on paper they built a team that could make the playoffs and i think there's very real chance they can easily build an even better team this winter but they have to actually want to try and they haven't tried for many years in a serious way so i think 2015 was the last year that they came into the season with a team that was yeah. um 
a, a, a serious playoff contender, a serious playoff team, a team that would be projected to make the playoffs at the start of the season. And that's why I say vote with your dollars. Like, don't go to the games. Don't engage with the team if you're unhappy about the direction that they are going in, um, which is going to be hard because you're going to get a hard sell regarding the All-Star game. But enough is enough. Like, we have not seen a significant financial commitment made to this team post and maybe the Cano deal like scared them all off, which, you know, wasn't a bad deal for the team. Um, you know, I, I would like to see a Julio contract extension. I would like to see a Logan Gilbert contract extension. I doubt we'll see that, but Julio feels, um, very plausible over this, next uh, the upcoming off season as a way to inject some good vibes um, yeah but it's not Very enough much so. like i want to see some say they need to get out of they are a mid-tier or better team as far as making money they cannot be in the bottom third of teams as far as spending it and until that discrepancy is fixed as you said like they're not going to – you can't spend your way to contention, but you can't get to contention without spending a little, uh, unless you're the Rays, which means you also employ some of the – which I, maybe the Mariners fancy themselves on that level. Um, but, you know, we've seen some mistakes, some pretty big mistakes get made as far as player identification um, and some of that's just bad luck, but some of it is, I think, bad process or trusting something that maybe they shouldn't trust. So until that discrepancy is healed somewhat, uh, I just it's really hard to believe in this team, in this franchise, not the team, not the players themselves, never the players, even when I'm frustrated with them, but the the higher level decision makers the people who cut the checks. Um, yeah, it's it's just a really, it's a bad place to be right now. And I'm sorry, this is not a more uplifting podcast, especially for those of you who've taken the time to listen to it. But we need to kind of be, you know, these are the kinds of hard looks that have to be taken. And I hope they're the hard looks that are taken at the macro level in the organization because it's frankly unacceptable. Um, and it's embarrassing and I hope that the front office and ownership is embarrassed by this team. And I hope to God that they're embarrassed because of the decisions they've made and not because of the players not doing well. Cause the players are trying their best, you know, Jesse Winker didn't know they were going to deaden the ball and move him to from the, the home run friendliest park in baseball to one of the least friendliest uh, that's Jesse Winker had no say in that. So it sucks that he's taking a lot of like abuse and people just making tinky winky jokes on Twitter, just the most unoriginal shit possible because again, like he didn't choose any of this. So just maybe remember <laughs> when you're feeling frustrated, remember who you should feel frustrated with. I think, too, we're at a juncture where we all feel a little stuck. It doesn't feel like, it, you know, I again tweeted this, but the Mariners can't meaningfully do anything to change their roster or their fortunes right now. This is where we are. 
but you can still be optimistic about stuff that's on the horizon and about moving forward, no matter who's at the helm of the team or the front office. You can still be excited about Julio. You can still be thrilled that Cal figured out how to hit how to hit out of nowhere, apparently, after just talking with Mitch Hanniger. You can still be thrilled that Taylor Trammell looks like a bona fide major league hitter again after what seemingly appeared to be a potentially season-ending injury that he bounced right back from. Um, you can be excited that Kyle Lewis, I'm very excited that Kyle Lewis eventually, probably post-All-Star break, will be back. And um, same with Mitch Hanniger. And I didn't mention this in the Slack the other day. I wanted to, but I actually I didn't say it because it was kind of a long-winded paragraph. But I think that one of the more interesting storylines for this team going into the offseason and into next year is that they are likely to keep a lot of the players on the 25-man one way or another. Um, I just don't think there's going to be that much turnover on it. You, you know, maybe they decide to ditch Abe Toro and trade Winker and, you know, not bring back Frazier or whatever. So there's going to be some of that, but there is going to be a lot of churn on the 40 man overall, especially on the bottom end where we have guys like uh, Sam Carlson and Juan 10. And there's just, there's a, a bevy of Mariners who are kind of like, on the on the fringes of maybe debuting but maybe not maybe not being healthy and there's going to be a big infusion of new blood to this team next year most of it's not going to play at the major league level probably but change is happening all the time right like i think so much of the frustration that i feel with the mariners currently is that it's bad it's been bad and it's going to be bad for a little while but there is still change going on behind the scenes all the time. And we're not actually stuck here. It just feels that way temporarily. So hang in there, have fun watching Cal, have fun watching Julio. Like legitimately Julio is the most exciting prospect for the Mariners in 30 years. Like don't, don't ever lose sight of the fact that he is so special and he's doing it all with some very obvious rookie warts that we haven't talked about because I am not going to dismay about any of that right now. Um, There's too many other things to worry about, but there's, the sky's the limit for Julio. Jared's potentially still somewhere. So actually, I'm glad we're, we're bringing this up at the last possible moment because the one thing I do want to talk about when John is feeling a little bit better is the Jared Kelnick dynamic in all of this because I think that that is a very substantial element in where the team is and kind of a lot of stuff. And I'm, I'm curious, John is kind of our uh, the lookout landing Jared expert in Joe's absence. And I, I'd love to hear what he thinks about that and, you know, his relationship with service and all that. But hang in there. I, I took a break from the Mariners, full disclosure. I, I took a couple of days off and didn't watch because I needed to chill for a sec, touch some grass, you know. And, um, you know, like Kate said, if that's what you got to do, do it. I came back, watched him win last night, watched Taylor Trammell hit a home run. They're a fun team and the kids are really fun. And it's not over. And, you know, if you're like me and <laughs> I'm going to be 33 in a couple months here, it's like I've been a Mariners fan forever. I'm used to this being one of the seasons of my year where it feels like this. And so um, there's the despair, but there's also there's a comfort in knowing that this is this is part of the dance of being a fan. And so hang in there, Mariners fans. I love you guys. Hope you're doing all right. John, you want to take us out? Yeah, thank you to everyone who has listened uh we will be back soon uh back on our regular schedule again here now um talking to you and yeah i'm eager to dig into some jared kelnick data and experiences um and uh thank you kate thank you evan uh, and we will talk to you next time